Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Beautiful service already. And we turn our attention to this beautiful psalm. You listen to that sometimes. If you're anything like me sometimes, you ever like read the Bible and you're like, wow, that's really cool. And then you're like, what in the world does that have to do with my life? You ever get that at some point? I mean, you read that psalm and it is beautiful, right? You know, I've set my king on the hill of Zion. And you're like, man, where is Zion? Is that past Medina? Like Google mapping that bad boy? Because what does Zion and the king have to do with my life? You watch that video. My marriage is on the brink and preacher man's up there talking about Zion and holy hills. You know, and what does that have to do with my life? When you begin to open this up and when we begin to unpack this, I think this is extremely relevant to our life. And I think it is important as we dive in to understand, because this is a very important passage, particularly in the Old Testament, as it is one of the most quoted passages in the New Testament. So I want to dive into that, because it is very relevant. Talk about people's raging and all this. If we look at the outline of it, hopefully this will help you wrap your head around it. So this is Psalm 2. These are the verses. Verses 1 through 3, it says, The people's rage. 4 through 6, then the Lord responds. 7 through 9, the king reigns. And then 10 through 12, the end of the psalm in these four sections, is there's an invitation to reconsider. So those are the four sections, you know, the raging, responding, the reigning, and then the reconsidering. They all begin with R. Wow, you're welcome. There you go. So that is kind of the outline here. When you see that again, when you unpack this, people's raging, what does that mean? Not only is this relevant, Every single one of us are tempted to rage, as this scripture says. And I'll say it's stronger than that. All of us are defaulted to rage against God's anointed. So we better figure out what that means, because it is pretty important. But the hard part is, at first glance, this doesn't like resonate with us, does it? So if I were to grab you this morning, you're on their way in, and ask you, do you feel like a king of the earth and a ruler taking counsel together against the Lord's anointed? Probably be like, ah... Uh, I'm going to get a donut. You stay here. <laughs> right? Because, like, what does that even mean? It doesn't resonate with my soul. Do I feel like a king of the earth raging against God's anointed? But once we understand in context what this is, I think all of us are tempted and even default to doing this all the time. We better figure out what this means in context because when you look at the Lord's response to it, it's a pretty big deal. God, I mean, he watches. The psalm, it's kind of this picture of the peoples of the earth, and it pans up to heaven in the second part to see the Lord's response to it. 
And he says, I mean, some very strong things. I'm about the fury of the Lord, but kind of sums it up this way. He who sits in the heavens laughs. Nobody likes being laughed at. I mean, isn't, that's like the worst. Like, that's the epitome of foolishness. Like, I would rather be in a sporting event and the other team just talking trash to my face. Of, you're a bum! You're, you're. I would take that all day. But do you ever just get laughed at? When you go out and do something so foolish that the other team is just laughing at you, man, that is the worst. And you see that, I mean, this raging is so bad in God's eyes that he is just laughing at us. So we better figure out what this means to rage against God, to rage against his anointed. So we're the peoples. We're the peoples of the earth. But who is the anointed? What does that mean to rage? And that only makes sense when you understand what's going on in Psalm 2. So in Psalm 2, it's this picture of the king reigning. Let's read this together. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son today. I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. So in the midst of the people's response... Psalm 2 is giving us a picture of a king being crowned. This is the picture of the great anointed king. This is coronation day. Now, if I've learned anything as a dad over these last couple years, it's coronation day is a big deal, right? They put the frozen slide up? Yeah. All right, cool. You get it. You know what I'm saying? That's what's happening here. So Psalm 2 is a picture of coronation day. Now, you've got to understand a couple of things. So Psalms is in the Old Testament. So when, we, when people say the Old Testament, that's just everything written before Jesus. New Testament is everything written after Jesus, after he came to this earth. So this is Psalm 2 pointing ahead to this day when God's anointed. The word, you know, the word anointed, if you transliterate that in Hebrew, is Messiah. You hear that. That's where we get the word Messiah. It's just the Hebrew sounding word of anointed. So all in this Old Testament Psalm, they're looking forward to this Messiah, this anointed king who's going to come and save the day and make everything right. Do you get that this day has happened? Do you get that the coronation, the crowning of the great Messiah, the anointed king to come has already happened? And I don't need to guess about that. The New Testament kind of connects those dots quickly for us. So we're waiting for when is this crowned king coming? Well, Romans, amongst many other places, tells us when this happened. He promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So the Lord's anointed, the crowned king, so clearly as we've seen is Jesus. When was coronation day for Christ? When did this happen? Romans tells us it's as he came out of the tomb. As Jesus defeated death, obedient to his father to the very end, when he came out of that tomb, Jesus received a crown and was declared king. Quickly thereafter, Jesus is going to receive his throne. Look with me at Mark 16, 19. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. So this is after he rose from the dead. At the very end, Jesus ascends into heaven. As he comes out of the tomb, 
Jesus receives his crown as king. And then as he leaves this earth, he ascends into heaven and sits down on his throne. We don't resonate with this language a ton. He sat down at the right hand of God. But you understand, that's regal language. The right hand of God, that is the seat of power. When Jesus leaves this earth, he goes to heaven and receives his throne. He sits down on the throne over all creation. What Psalm 2 is about, what they look forward to has already happened for us, is that Jesus is king. This office is higher than any office. This ruler is higher than every ruler. Everything this world has to offer, every power structure, every land, this picture is that Jesus is seated above all of them as king above all kings. If I were to grab you again on your way in this morning and ask you, what's the most powerful office in this world? If your answer revolves around anything of the shape of an oval or any other shape, you are misinformed. Because there is a higher office above every office in this world, and Jesus sits on that throne above every single nation. You people need to understand, to make sense of this, that Jesus right now is sitting on the throne of heaven. You guys are so dead. Like, I'm starting to preach, and nobody's even feeling me for a second. Jesus is king right now, and that may feel weird to you. Jesus is your king right now. You may not like that. You may not believe that. It doesn't change the fact that it's true. Jesus is sitting on the highest and greatest throne this world will ever know, the throne above all other thrones. It doesn't even matter if you sit here and tell me you don't believe it. Your believing in that or not does not change the fact that he is on that throne. I could say, well, I don't want to believe that. I don't, want, I don't like that. Or I don't, want to believe the, I don't want to believe the earth is round. It doesn't make it not round. I mean, it, I mean, it, it is round. It doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. Do you understand that that is true of Christ right now? And you need to wrap your head around that because if this is true, if Jesus is seated on the throne of heaven, that is a game changer and that should change your entire life. Everything should revolve around that fact and that's why it moves into that fourth section. If this is true, if Jesus is reigning in heaven, then you better reconsider your life. Does your life match up with this fact that Jesus is king? Because you get this picture here. Like there's some intense stuff in there. I hope you caught it. So there's kind of the day he's crowned and then it says you will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them in pieces. You will be angry. They will perish in the way. You need to understand something in light of the New Testament. So Jesus was crowned king but do you understand the full culmination of the kingdom has yet to come? So these verses, you will be dashed into pieces. That is quoted again in Revelation. So Jesus, yes, is crowned, but he has yet to come in, in the full culmination of the kingdom. Why? What does that mean? The whole point, the New Testament, I mean, think of some of the parables. Remember some of the parables you've heard from the Bible about the king who goes away and he's going to return? Why did God do that? I mean, this almost looks like one scene, but it's split up into two. The king is crowned, and then he's going to rule the full culmination of the kingdom. Why? God, in his patience and love for us, gives everybody an opportunity to reconcile with the king before he comes in his fury. See, when the king returns, 
you better be ready to meet him. You better be reconciled to him. I mean, think about it. When a king returns and somebody has usurped his throne, that doesn't go well for them. So that's why it ends with be warned, be wise. There is a king. He sits on the throne. He will come again. You better be ready for that moment. And that is the crux of this passage. And even more, that's the crux of the whole New Testament. So what does that mean? Okay, this is a big deal. I better be ready for it. What does that look like to rage against the king? It says, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. So what it is, is the kings of the earth, again, this is all of us. So what does that mean? All these kings, there's a greater king, Jesus, and they are rejecting him as king. They're saying, I don't want anything to do with him. I want to be my own king. I want to rule things my way. I want to do things my way. I want to make my own choices. So they reject Jesus's rightful authority over them as king. So to rage against the king is essentially to reject him as king over your life and live life however you want. That is the default to all of us. That starts to sound more familiar. If I tell you, are you raging against the king? You're like, I don't know. But if I tell you, hey, do you want to live your life however you want and you don't want nobody telling you else what to do? Now it's getting a little more tempting. Now that's getting a little more real. And when we say king, you know, we live in a democracy. I mean, we can say whatever we want about our rulers. Sometimes, you know, people follow them or not. This was a king. That is absolute authority. What the king says goes, you do it. Is that true of your life? That your whole life, God sits on the throne, every decision you make, it's made in obedience to the king over your life. When he tells you how to spend your money, you spend it that way. When he tells you how to use your body, you use your body that way. When he tells you how to treat people, you do it. Or when you get your paycheck, you spend it how you want, you use your body how you want, you treat people how you want, you treat people how the world is. That's the measure of who is really the king of your life. And if you exist for your own purposes, that means you have taken God's rightful throne in your life because you want to rule your own way. That's what it means to rage, and that is laughable in God's eyes. For us to say, I'm the master of my domain, and I'm going to live my life how I want. It's my life. You can't tell me what to do. Let me tell you why that's laughable. But first, I need you to pull in, pull in a little bit. Here's why that's laughable. You are not good at it. Seriously, you suck at it. You suck at being a king. Like, that's why it's laughable. Because we want to be the kings of our own life. Everybody who comes to submit to the king finally figures that out. I'm not a good king. I'm not able to rule my own life. That is above your pay grade. Can you control your next breath? Can you control your own body? Can you control your loved ones not getting killed tomorrow? Can you control the global economy? You can't control any of that. All of that is above your pay grade, but yet you're going to sit here and look at me. I can live my life however I want. You can't control not getting hit by a bus on the way home. What are you talking about? Even if we could control it. And everybody that's come to Christ gets that point. I've been doing things my way, and I've jacked this up. We are not capable and or we are not good at being the kings of our own life and doing things our way. Every time we do that, we make a mess of it. And then the world, it's laughable. Second, there is a rightful king. 
You need to understand that there is a rightful king and throne over your life. For you to sit here and tell me it's my life, you can't tell me what to do. No, it isn't. It's not your life. Did you create your life? Did you create yourself and present it to yourself as a gift? You are rightfully God's. He is your creator. You are his. So to say, I'm going to do whatever I want, what's the big deal? The big deal is you have kicked God off his rightful throne in your life and taken his place. That's a big deal. You are not fit to be a king. I get this picture, you know, while it's laughable. You know, it's the, you know, maybe you have little kids. You've probably seen this picture on a show. It's like a five-year-old. You know, that, you know, I don't want to live in this house anymore. I'm running away. And they like storm up, get their sleeping bag. And they move out into the tree house and they move in. And what do you do? You laugh at them. Because it's ridiculous. You know that five-year-old isn't capable of that. You know this rebellion's ending at lunchtime. <laughs> Just like you laughed. That's how laughable it is for us when we're going to run our own lives and we're going to make our own decisions. We're not good at And there's a rightful king that is, sits and owns that throne of your life. I mean, if I put it this way, kind of help you wrap your heads around why this seems so bad. You know, many probably own homes, you know, maybe, you know, this young married couple, you get your first home. First thing you do, you start painting, you start redecorating it however you want. That sounds right. You know, you get in your house, you're going to make it the way you want, have it be, you know, go along with your preference. What if we change one simple fact about that story that changed the way we see it? What if it's not their home? What if it's your home? You went on vacation, a bunch of squatters came in and then just took over your house and started redecorating it. You'd be laughing, but not like in a ha-ha way, like, oh, okay, yeah, you better get out of my house. But that's what it is. If it's not your home, you have no right to do everything you want with it. If you don't own that home, there is a rightful king, and you need to understand, lastly, the king will return. Again, the king, Jesus, has been crowned. The full culmination of the kingdom will come. And when he comes, if somebody's sitting on his throne, it doesn't go well for that person. We all, the, you know, the famous Robin Hood. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Think of the, like the Kevin Costner version, not the Men in Tights. That'll get weird and distracting. Don't, don't think that version. But what's the story? Everybody knows it. You know, King Richard goes away, and then he comes back, and then Sheriff, you know, his cousin is on the throne. Is that going to go well for him? No. What about for you? When you stand before God, whether he returns or you go to meet him tomorrow, are you ready for that moment? I think, I, I think some people think they're just like in a full God. You're going to live your life however you want, and then when you stand before God, give him the old, yeah, I'm kidding. You know I want you to be my king. I was kidding about that whole life thing. Come on. You think God, that's really going to work for you. You're going to fool God. You're going to live however you want and then stand before the king and go, just kidding. Hey, why don't you, why don't you be the king again? Because I want to get in there. What do you think in there is? What do you think heaven is? It's the kingdom of God where everybody perfectly submits to the king. That's what heaven is. If he's not your king now, he won't be your king then. If he is your king now, well, guess what? He will be your king forever. 
I've heard hell put this way. What do you think hell is? It is God honoring your rejection of him as king of your life. Is he your king right now? Everything in your life is done out of obedience to him. Well, if you're rejecting him now, what makes you think when you stand before him that all of a sudden you're gonna flip the switch and pull one over on God? That's what he says, be ready. The king will return. You will stand before him. And if you have kicked him off your throne and sat in that throne or put anybody else on there, it doesn't go well for you. Lest he be angry, you will perish in the way. You need to understand that. So what do we do? It is laughable for us to try to be the kings of our own lives. How do we live our lives in light of the fact that Jesus is king? One, I want you to remind yourself of that every day. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're looking at, I've been saying this all week as I prepared that. Okay, Jesus is king. I had a day that completely just got messed up. You ever have those days? Maybe you were in a messed up year. You're in a messed up life and you're just sitting there struggling and can't make sense of it all. I had one of those days that everything went wrong. I'm trying to write this sermon and then my battery died. So if the sermon's bad, you know, blame Jesus. He's king, not me. But so I'm sitting there, my computer dies. I'm like, all right, Jesus, you're king. And then in the midst of that, a guy walks up to me and I ask him about his battery. And I hear this man's really distraught. I'm in a coffee shop. And I realize this man had just totally wet himself. And he wasn't right. All right, God, you're king. I'm not. I want to write my sermon. Maybe this guy needs someone to care about him today. When you look something in the face this week, look it in the face and say, all right, Jesus, you're king. And you know what? Until the culmination of the kingdom, it's gonna be rough. It may be bad, but my God is king. And in the end, he's gonna work it all out. Jesus is king. Remind yourself, but tell other people. I mean, you see the great commission in there. The great commission that we're called to go to all the nations. I will make the nations your heritage. Our marching orders are to go and make disciples of all nations. Why? Because this is true. Jesus is not ruler over America. He's ruler over this entire world, every nation. Jesus says, look, those nations are mine. Go get them for me. There are people not ready for me to return as king. Can you go tell them I'm coming back so they're ready to meet me? We need to tell the nations because this is true and the king will return And that's mostly for believers. But lastly, if you have yet to do this, if you're sitting here, you know Jesus is not king of your life, will you surrender to him as your king? There's no middle ground. Either you're on the throne or he's on the throne. It's laughable when we sit on God's throne in our life. It doesn't work well. We're not good at it. Here's why I think so many of us don't do that and we resist it. We misunderstand what it's, to be under Christ as our king, his authority over us. Do you see the difference in the beginning of the psalm and the end of the psalm, the way they talked about the authority of God? Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords. To be under that king, it's slavery, it's chains. In the end, what does he say? Kiss the son, serve the the Lord, rejoice with him. You look at God's rule in your life, he's not looking for slaves, he's looking for loving servants. You see God's restrictions in your life as bondage, as chains, as a yoke over your life. And yes, it is. But Jesus says, look, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. 
I constrain you because I love you. Do you constrain your kids? I do mine. It's because I love them. It's not bondage that he wants to give us. It's blessing. Yes, it's with constraints. You heard that story. Some of you are probably on the brink of throwing in the towel in your marriage right now. And yes, you are constrained. If Jesus is your king, you stick it out. You say, that feels like bondage to me. I need, I want to be happy. I want to do these things. Look at their life. Look at their life. And you tell me that's bondage and not blessing. You heard their story. That little girl, Ren, doesn't exist if Jesus isn't their king. Look that cute girl in the face. Look, I got cute kids. I can recognize cute kids. We've accidentally vacationed with the Pettits once. We ended up at Great Wolf Lodge together. Our families ended up getting time together. You look in that little girl's face and you tell me that's not blessing. Yes, it's restraint. But you want to understand God's restraint, those cords and restraints around us are not to bond us, it's to bless us. One of my favorite passages is it talks about these same cords, let us burst apart these cords, but he tells us, I've led them with cords of kindness. They are restrictions, they are bands of love. I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws and I bent down to them and fed them. God is the rightful king of your life but he doesn't want to enchain you. He wants to bless you. The only way you find freedom and blessing is surrendering to the true king of your life. Let me pray. God, we want, I want, I want that for all of us. God, to surrender to you. God, so often we look at you and we say, I, I want to be my own yet, God, I know. God, your yoke is easy. Your burden is light. You don't look to enslave us. You don't look to put us in bondage. You want us to lovingly serve you, to kiss the sun as the psalm goes. God, you are the rightful king over every life, over every nation. God, help us to live like that's true. In Jesus' name, amen.